This morning, we're going to be looking at the end of the chapter that I would call marriage from the beginning, though we're going to be covering a, a, a very broad concept this morning. Obviously, this is not a marriage class per se by a long shot as we're looking at these early chapters in the book of Genesis. And I hope that you are impressed with the sweeping magnitude of the truths that are being emphasized in these early chapters that lay the foundation for understanding the law. And, and as our light has become greater uh, with the coming of Christ and the gospel message, uh, a better understanding of uh, all that God is seeking to accomplish in our redemption. So if you'll bow with me in prayer, Heavenly Father, as we open up uh, the book of Genesis this morning, we pray that you will give us light, help our understanding of your purpose in creation, and especially in your creation of humanity in your image, and that we would strive to understand uh, and fulfill that purpose as we live in this relationship that you've established uh, with you and with each other. Uh, for this we pray in your son's name, amen. Beginning in verse 18 of Genesis chapter two, it says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was, was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a sleep, deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want to go back and just emphasize in this uh, chapter, uh, which I think is a monumental, uh, obviously, concept that is repeated through scripture and clearly designates humanity above all other creation. And that is that we are made in the image of God. And that carries with it enormous ramifications beyond just the fact that we have a spirit that we understand is eternal. That's certainly part of what God is telling us here uh, regarding our eternal nature. Uh, but so much more is being embodied that I think uh, if we look at this and, and really appreciate what's being said, a greater understanding of our relationship. As you think back to some of the things Kent said last week and that I've been trying to emphasize, we live in a world that's clearly been cursed because of sin. And, and that curse especially involves uh, the broken relationship between men and God and the broken relationship between men and each other. That's the great consequence. But God gives us reminders of that consequence as well. So the whole creation 
bears under a curse as a reminder of what has happened, as evidence to us of brokenness in the world. That's part of the purpose uh, that we see that in the world itself. Things are not right. And we're able to look at creation and say that, that this is not right. Things aren't right. Uh, and that is uh, at the root of suffering and difficulties and hardships, uh, all being traced back, of course, to the entry of sin into the world. Christ came to redeem the creation that's broken. And by that, helping us understand, above all, to restore the relationships between men and God and men with each other. That's his redemptive purpose. Restoring fellowship again uh, that has been broken because of, of sin so that we are sharers together in harmony with one another, in unity with each other. And, and so that that might be established. Just imagine a world where harmony and unity prevail, uh, what that would be. And I want to say to you as God's elect, it is not only God's command and God's intention and God's purpose that we be united. That is part of our calling as the church, as the elect of God, we are to be a light to the world. It's critical. It's why Jesus is praying in John 17 that we be one as the Father and the Son are one that the world may believe. The world may know that you sent me into the world so that when they look at the church, they see something unique. They see something that is above all the... That doesn't mean there's not harmony in other places in the world, but they see in the church where all men have come together from various backgrounds, races, countries, whatever it may be, but with a common love for each other and harmony for each other. And it's so important that we seek to preserve it. And I'm telling you, we take it for granted. We take this for granted so often over the things that we grumble about, squabble about, uh, that are of so, so much lesser important if we understood what Christ has done if we understood what the Lord is accomplishing, it's going to change our relationship with each other. And that is at the root of what God is designing here in Genesis chapter 2. And so it's a massive truth. It, and it goes beyond when we read the man and woman here being joined together as one flesh. And God seeing man alone and saying it's not good. It's beyond just, well, Who's he going to have for a companion? He's going to be lonely. I'm sure that's part of it, but that's not the extent of what's happening. Or how is the world going to be populated? They can't have children unless there's a woman there. So that's going to be necessary. God is also helping us understand. My intention is to create a reflection of my own image. And that cannot happen by man alone. It has to be man and another being together in harmony with each other, completing one another, uh, in union together. As the Father, Son, and the Spirit, we come to see as He reveals Himself to us, as they exist together in their relationship. 
So understanding the fullness of what God intended and the glory of it back in chapter one, when he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and let them and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And in chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, again, this is the book of the generations of Adam and the day God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. And he blessed them and named them, named them man. And so Adam is used to describe not only the man, but the man and woman together. It's humanity there that is made in God's image in the day they were created. What you need to understand is there is no image of God with just the man, the male. That's not God's image. So it's more than just the spirit and body. When he says, I want to make mankind in my image, it required the woman and man both to be created. That's the image of God being stamped upon humanity. And recognizing that enlightens us about who we are in the world and what God intended our relationship to be. I'll go back and just repeat uh, that while I don't, don't believe that the Old Testament uh, readers fully understood, they certainly could not have understood the Father, Son, and the Spirit as he's revealed in the New Testament. And so those who would say, well, I'm having difficulty, let us make man in our image because they wouldn't have known about the triune Godhead. Well, that's true. But what they would have known is whenever God is speaking he, in saying the Lord is that there's just one God. He's a unified, there's just one, one and only one God. They would have understood that much. We understand because God gives more light to us that that one God involved the personalities as God reveals himself at least, the Father and the Son and the Spirit who are united together in a way, a purpose, a mind, uh, in a unity that is described as the one God of the Bible and gives us an understanding, an image of God that is greater than the original audience understood. So what they would have always understood from De Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God, as Elohim, plural, is one God. Would they have understood the Godhead? No. But they did understand there's just one God. He's the God that brought us out of Egypt. He's the only God there is. He's the God that created everything. But we have the ability to understand this to a greater degree than they could have. There are a number of passages, of course, in the Old Testament. And as I'm looking at time getting away, uh, I'm just going, you take, look it up yourself. Where the word Jehovah is used, and Joel 2 would be an example. Where Joel 2, Jehovah is going to pour out his spirit upon mankind. But in Acts 2, who fulfills that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit coming down. And Peter says, this is what Joel 2 was talking about. It's Jehovah's pouring himself out upon mankind. Uh, 
And you, you have numerous, of course, Old Testament scriptures that refer to Christ uh, and where the Lord said, tell them I am. I'm Jehovah. It sent me. And what does Jesus say in John 8? Before Abraham was born, I am. I am. He's identifying himself as the Jehovah. There are, number, there are numerous other places where Jehovah's in the Old Testament, but the New Testament fulfillment is Jesus. Even when he says, it, David says, Jehovah is my shepherd. And Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd uh, that that's speaking of. All, all of those texts, the Old Testament re readers wouldn't have understood, well, that's talking about the son. But they had all of the text, all of the passages, the son of David, the seed of Abraham, these passages that refer to God in this way as they're fulfilled. We now see the fullness of it. I don't say we have the complete understanding either. We're going to get more understanding when the Lord returns and redemption is accomplished. We'll see things more clearly than we do now. But that's something to appreciate as we look at these texts. So, in Genesis 1:27, God creates man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then we already read Genesis 5, 1 and 2. I'm going to tell you that that tells us everything we need to know about how men and women are supposed to live together. Uh, we, we have all these classes on gender and everything else, but it, when it comes right down to it, that should tell you everything you need to know about the relationship that is supposed to exist between men and women together. The creation of men and women together as the image of God is one of the stamps of God, memorials of God on creation of his own image in the world. And now that we have even greater light to understand it, to realize that we are to live in harmony with each other. We are to live in union together. We are to have common goals and purposes. We, we are to be supportive of each other. We are to have that relationship together, men and women. And whatever we might say about submission and roles that God has given, those roles are taken up with the same love, spirit, union, harmony that God and the Father and Son carry out their purposes in the world. There's no, not to be any dominion in terms of taking advantage of another. It's never supposed to be the case. It's not to regret that I'm in a position where I see myself maybe uh, as the servant. That's not ever the case. Men are to, to lead in whatever roles given them as lovers, as, as supporters uh, for the good of humanity. And certainly the women that are part of that creation. And women are to see men in the same way. We're not against each other. Never. And in the Lord's church where he's made us, what? Neither male nor female. That, well, there are no genders. Well, of course there are. What's he saying? He's saying we come into this body together, understanding who we are with one. We're not at war with each other. We're not against each other. Men and women are not, are not set. No, the women on this side, you're fighting for you. And the men over here, no, we're going to fight for No, no, we're together, blended in with one purpose, harmony, mutual respect, regard for the creation that God has made and understanding neither can be complete without the other. 
And, and that's what God always intended in regard to the relationship that he established. It's what he's always intended for it to be. And marriage from the beginning, again, is a unique, special then memorial to that truth. There's the broad man and woman. And we ought to see it in how the genders work together in the light of what God teaches. And it takes on a unique and special meaning in the marriage relationship. And how the husband and wife come together as one and the harmony that they... You don't have to be married to practice mutual respect and regard for each other. <laughs> that, you don't have to have that. But if you're in the marriage union, that becomes a special relationship Again, where God manifests himself in the harmony that he has imprinted upon this relationship that should be seen. So, so what do we have there? Well, again, without the man and woman in marriage, there's no fruitfulness as God intended for it to be. There's no filling the earth uh, with humanity as God intended for that to happen. And when homes are broken, what is that witness to? What does that testify to? If there's a broken home, what does it say? It says the world's broken. And the world is broken, isn't it? When men and women are at war with each other, as we see happening in the world today, what does that tell you? The world is broken, my friend. That's what it says. When there's not harmony with each other, it says we live in a broken world because that's not what God designed. It's never what he intended for it to be. And even though we may not carry it out perfectly, we're committed to the truth that God has revealed. Right? And in the relationships, and I'll come, you know, whatever the other people think. I got up this morning, I thought about Wayne and Betty this morning, you've seen them live together, and I saw the note about Bob and Jerry Geiger. You watch them live together, and then just look around. You, you, think, you, you think, whatever else you may think, you see Mark and Diana, you, you think he's dominating her? Does she give you the impression she's just such a miserable, she's downcast when they're together because she walks behind him and he's trying? Is, is that what you see there? I want to tell you, it wasn't that way. It wasn't that way for your grandparents who walked in the light of the Lord. It wasn't that way. The world wants to shape a narrative that makes you think that because of people believing in Christ, that women have just been down. That was, it's never been the case, at least as long as I've been alive. And now I've been alive long enough to go back and say, I can remember people who were alive and were old when I was young. And so at least that far back that my memory goes, and men and women loved each other and were in harmony together and supported each other, and that's been going on a long time. And it's what God intended. And the more we understand what God has said and who he is, then the better able we are to carry this out. Whatever the culture may be, whatever the circumstances may, we may find ourselves in, I'm telling you that men who love uh, Humanity are going to love all humanity, men and women together, and they're especially going to be devoted to their husbands and their wives, and they're going to be a witness to the fact that God 
is one. And that the God who made humanity intends for us to love each other and to love him and to live in harmony together. And because sin has come into the world, those relationships have been broken. And so don't be surprised about that. You say, well, then why, why is the world such in a mess? Because the world's under a curse. Because the devil's still whispering in our ears and telling us things that aren't true. But you and I know better because we know what the Lord has done and we know who he is, right? And so we're going to look across at each other and see that together here is the image of God and we together become another testimony of God's image because we are what? The body of Christ himself. And so God has meant to show himself in all these ways. And that sets the stage, of course, for what God, understanding that then, if we realize that's what marriage is meant to be, then that sets the stage for what God is going to say about sexuality and marriage. It's why casual sexual relationships can never fulfill what God intended in creation. Just can't do it. Now, of course it's enough for anyone to take what God says in terms of commands and just accept that, no matter if you fully understand this. Because I'm going to tell you, I didn't fully understand Genesis until really pretty recently to see the fullness of what's being said here. I've understood these principles and could have agreed and said amen, but to really see, wow, look at what God has said here and that carries through the text. It's enough. It was enough for me to understand flee fornication that it was wrong for me if I engage in immorality. I'm, I'm, I am transgressing. I may not have fully understood all of why that's out of sorts with what God purposed and is trying to say and what it's all about. I, I just knew I wasn't supposed to do this. And sometimes that's good enough, folks, just to say, look, I know God is a loving God. He's got a great purpose. He's going to love us and redeem us all. I don't always understand everything he's saying. I just am going to respect what he says and do what he says. That's enough. It's enough to say, don't commit adultery. You don't have to fully understand what marriage is all about. But the more you do understand it, the better your marriage is going to be and the more of a witness to God's purpose it's going to be as you begin to, to recognize what it's about. Until then, respect what God says. Husbands, love your wives. That's simple enough. Uh, the more you see that in that you're showing the love of God and you understand this is part of God's redemptive purpose, the greater that love is going to be able to be shown. And women, love your husbands. That's a greater command. We always want to say, and you submit to your, well, that's a command too, but love your husbands. Love them. Uh, and older women, teach your younger women. Love your husbands. Love each other. That's foremost, above all. But I want to tell you, we need to recognize as we read these texts then, something bigger is at stake when we fail. We are not reflecting then the image of God. That's what's at stake. God's witness in the world to who he is when men go to war against women and women go to war against men, when husbands go to war against their wives and wives go to war against their husbands, when they are unfaithful to the covenant that God intends for them to dwell together in, especially in marriage, 
then they no longer are a witness to God's image in the world. You no longer point to who God is. You've, you've forfeited that. You're not a witness to that any longer. And for those of us who are here who are believers that think that's important, we're going to trust and follow what God says. Whatever the world may do, we're going to trust what God says and we're going to strive to reflect the image of God. And so that's why in the book of Exodus 22 and in Leviticus 18 and in Leviticus 20 and in Deuteronomy 27 where it says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. That's an abomination. You shall not have intercourse with any animal as to be defiled with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's a perversion. Of what? Of God's image in you. It's not a matter of whether it's sexually fulfilling. It's that God created you for a unique purpose and to reflect the image of himself. And he's not going to tolerate that we corrupt that. He's saying, don't do that. And we live in a broken world. And we live in a world where people have lost the image of God and and so we shouldn't be surprised that they do all these things. The farther that men walk away from God, the more you're going to see these things happen. That's what Romans 1 is all about. When you give up the image of God for the other images that are in the world and you worship the animals and idols and creation itself and all those things and you no longer bear the stamp of God's image, then all of these kinds of things follow. That's what happens. And that's why God says, I don't want you to worship the idols that the other nations worship, who in their worship very often did these very things. And we shouldn't be shocked at that. Because if you're not worshiping the true God in, and worshiping in his, in his image, then it's not surprising then that you're going to find people practicing all kinds of sexual perversions as well. And what we need to understand, the world doesn't see this. It's not just a matter of attraction. It's not just a matter of desire. It's not just a matter of lust or a matter of how I feel inside. I, I understand from what the scriptures are telling me here that sexuality, and let me tell you, it's a complicated issue. I get it. Very complicated for people. But I want to tell you this, for believers, for believers, we are going to trust what God has said on the matter. We trust this. We know we live in a broken world, broken on all kinds of levels. And it's broken because why? Men broke their relationship with God and then began to break their relationship with each other. And that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. And we're going to see how that happens in the coming few chapters. As men walk away from God, uh, we see violence and immorality beginning to show itself until men are, are, are consumed with wickedness. For you and I, we believe God is one, right? We believe the Father, Son, and the Spirit are the triune God, one in every way single-minded. And the church, we who've come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
we believe that, don't we? And we believe this book is expressing to us the, the mind of God and his purpose. And we're not at war with each other. No one. We're all brothers and sisters made in the image of God together and husbands and wives that reflect that. And now in this time, the church should reflect that. Brethren, let's never be at war with each other. Just don't let it happen. Now, does, that, does that not make a little more emphasis as to why Jesus would say, if you're at the altar and you've got something against your brother, lay that aside and get, make things right with your brother before you come here? Because after all, you're the image of God. You understand what it's all about. You can't have this disharmony with each other and have that in your heart toward your brother and then think that you can come and worship me because that's what worshiping me brings about. Oneness, oneness. It's critical to what God always intended and what you and I expect, don't we? When Christ returns and the world is redeemed and the righteous are brought before Him, do we think there's going to be any disharmony between those around the throne of God? Do we think there are going to be us and them between those individuals? Do we think there's going to be any of that in, in regard to that? Now that doesn't mean... In this, that doesn't mean who who has who would say red's your favorite color or a shade of red? Tim, got a few? Don't be ashamed, you dirty red lovers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm blue. I'm all blue. Well, you red guys are gonna have to come over so we can be of one mind. Right? We're supposed to be single-minded. And since blue clearly is the better color, just repent of your redness and become blue. And we'll be a one mind. Well, we know that isn't what it's talking about. We're going to have those kinds. But it, but it means if Tim says, look, we really need to paint the walls red. And I say, no, that's terrible. I can't. But if it turns out red it is, all right, red it is. That's, you know, it's not going to affect... You know, we're going to have some disagreements, but we're trying to, those are so mundane and unimportant, right? For those of us who are doing battle against Satan and all his forces that is trying to destroy the world and take away life itself, and we've taken our stand with the Son of God who gave himself, we are all united. And I want to tell you again, it goes back this morning, we're all raising our our, our body and, and then our cup together in harmony saying, this is where we stand with him. And whatever else shortcomings I may see, whatever other things that may, you know, that we say, well, that just kind of gets in my craw a little bit. Okay, so it does. And we're going to work on that. But I'm looking across at people who are taking the Lord's Supper together, devoting themselves to Christ, standing against evil in its darkest form that's brought this curse on the world and I love you for that and so I'm not going to hold any of those other things against you just not I'll tell you when we see this big picture then it be part of what God intends to do in transforming us and our harmony together and the harmony of a husband and wife together it says to the world the Lord our God is one Lord. It says to your children, 
The Lord our God is one Lord. When they see mom and dad living together before them as God intended, loving each other, supporting each other, understanding, oh, they may, you know, they may have fussed or dad may have made a mess of this, but mom, she's still there. She's there to help him fix that and, and whatever when dad gets frustrated. But I see them together and there is no question in my mind that there's harmony and peace and love and security. And they come to you and say, is this the way it is with, with God? Is that how he loves me? Yes, it is. And the world looks at us and say, how is that possible? How are you all getting along so well when nobody else seems to do that? Because the Lord our God is one Lord. Because Jesus is on the throne. He's risen from the dead and has redeemed us. That's how. It's not a hard answer. And we've got to strive to bear that image so that our testimony will not be robbed. And of course, it takes on greater meaning as we read in the book of Ephesians. And we see all that God is intending when he says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the world, with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Are you hearing Genesis? Well, he, if you didn't, he's going to tell you Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So our relationship takes on even greater now meaning. Christ in the church. That's the way Christ in the church. Mom and dad, I've watched you these years. Yeah, you all are together. Your love, your harmony. That's Christ in the church. Yes, that's Christ in the church. I'm at peace. And when God says it's not good for man to be alone, He's, he's talking from his own perspective, not just that. He's not saying, look at Adam. Adam's not, he's kind of lonely down there. Uh, he's saying, I've looked at everything else I've made and said, it's good, it's good, it's good. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, it's not good. It doesn't fulfill what I, it doesn't accomplish what I intend to accomplish and so that Adam, you want to know why we have this second retelling of the creation of, of woman, why God does it in this expanded way? It's so that man could understand, not just Adam, but the woman too in the telling of it. Every other animal's brought, no, it's not for me, not for me, not for me, not for me. Nothing else in the world can complete Adam until the woman is created. And only the woman can complete mankind. I want to tell you, this is powerful to me. And we see this truth being impressed upon us all through Scripture. And the marriage union that's expressed in 
the sexual union between men and women, that one flesh that then produces the fruit that God intends to fill the earth, it's more than just about the internal physical desire. That's part of it. That's a beautiful part of the relationship. But the whole purpose of God is in the balance here, folks. The expression of what God intends to reveal about himself is in the balance here. And I hope as you think about that this morning, you look maybe and you see that person, if you're married, you see them in a new light. You look across and you say, yeah, I'm not this one. Tim? Oh, you see it completely. You see them now differently. And, and for men and women, you look across and you see the women who are in your life, the men who are in your life, and you see them differently. And you recognize what God had always intended. That's what we are together. And isn't it great? Isn't it great? I don't know what I'd do without the women in my life. I don't know what I'd do without the men in my life who are there with whom we strive together and together. God's image can be seen when we live in harmony. Harmony. 